So we've been talking about buildings, but something that's come out quite a lot from the conversations is a necessity for us to be a beacon of hope in our community as a church, but also to be little beacons, little lights that go out into our community and bring Christ into our homes, into our workplaces, uh, into the, and into the community that we're in. And really, we're picking up a bit of that in our series on Titus. If you want to turn in the Bible or on your um, smartphones or iPads to Titus, it's towards the back of the Bible. And the New Testament is written by a bloke called Paul, who was originally a persecutor, a hater of Christians in the church. He was going around seeking out Christians and basically getting them arrested, and he became met with Jesus in a very special way in a vision, and he became not a breaker down of churches, but a builder of churches. And he's writing to a bloke called Titus on an island of Crete, who was there. His job is to finish what Paul has started, and to straighten out what is a bit of a messed up Christian community on this island. And what we've been talking about in the last uh, few weeks, I'm just going to find my sermon is um, basically his task was to appoint role models, overseers, elders, people who are going to lead the way ahead, who are going to show people, show followers of Jesus Christ, how they ought to live their lives and what they ought to do. Um, he was talking about removing barriers from people who wanted to follow Jesus Christ. How are we going to make it not easy, it should be easy to follow Jesus Christ, but how can we remove unnecessary barriers that are going to get in the way of people following Jesus Christ? And he talks about the importance of sound doctrine and truth, protecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there was all sorts of weird stuff coming from different directions that Paul says to Titus, you need to stop this being spoken in your church because it's important that people get the truth about who Jesus is. We're going to read chapter 2 of Titus and verses 1 to 15. It will appear on the screen as well. You, however, so this is Paul writing to Titus, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed, because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try and please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So we're going to pick up a few uh, lessons from that. And it's been, I'm going to ask the question, what, why, when. and ha- not when. What, why, and how. Okay, what, why, how. What, why, how. So we're going to get those in a minute. Okay, I don't know if any of you watch Ben Fogel. Have you heard of Ben Fogel? Yeah. Okay, he has a program on TV called New Lives in the Wild. Now, has anyone watched this? A few of you. Okay, to explain, because most of you... Uh, don't watch it. But Ben Fogel goes and spends a week with a person or a couple or a family, a community even, who have decided to leave the rat race behind and to go and live in some wild, remote place. And that could be a hut in the Amazon for- rainforest. It could be on an island in Iceland. It could be in a little cottage in Scotland. It doesn't matter where it is, but it's people who have left the world behind and decide to set out on their own and build a life in the wild. And I watch this, and I watch these people who are living on their own and building a little life for themselves, and I have to admit, I look and go, I quite like that. I quite fancy doing that, just being on my own for a while. I mentioned that to my wife, and she didn't seem very happy. But... Um, but this idea of just escaping from the busyness of life. We live in such a busy world. And to have some time and some quiet and some solitude seems really in- attractive to me. Now, whether that would be attractive after five years, ten years, twenty years of doing that, I might last a week. But it's quite attractive to me. But what comes out in the conversation, so Ben Fogel spends a week with these people and he tries to find out, why have you done this? And nine times out of ten, these people have gone into seclusion, become almost hermits, because they look at the world around them and they think, this world is going crazy. It's just a mess. Just the things that people are coming up with, the direction it's going in. So we're just going to leave that world behind. We're going to escape it. We're going to make our own little world where we don't have to worry about what other people think and what other people are saying and what's going on around us. And I don't know about you, but as Christians... It's so easy to look at the world around us and think, what on earth is going on? We live in a community that was built on a millennia of Christian teachings and doctrine, and yet we can look at the world and go, it's getting farther and further away from what I understand to be how we should live as a community. Those morals, those things that we hold dear, and our reaction can be, you know what? Stuff you world, I'm going to remove myself So I don't have to listen to you anymore. I don't have to live the way you are telling me to live. And there are groups of Christians who have done exactly that. There are communities who have excluded themselves from the world. They will not work with anyone that's not part of their community. They will not eat with anyone who's not part of their community. They will not socialise. They will not live with anyone who is not part of their Christian community. There's a community of like that. In this town, there's a community like that in the town that I was growing up in, in Ipswich. Is that what we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ? To go, you know what, you're crazy. I'm just going to live my life on my own. It's so much easier. 
See, Paul is talking to this community in Crete where the norms of society are so far removed from what Jesus was teaching. And he's teaching them this, how do you practically live in this world? Because verse 1 of chapter 2 says to Titus, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And I like how Tom Wright translates that. He says this, so what must you do? Just this. You must instruct people how to contact, conduct themselves in accordance with healthy teachings. In other words, sound doctrine and good preaching is not enough. People need to know how to translate what they hear into their daily lives. The title of this sermon series is Dare to be Different. What does it look like to be different? So I focus on the what first of all. So sound doctrine is not enough. People know how to apply it to their everyday lives. And Paul talks about men, he talks about women, and he talks about slaves. Now keep in mind, this was written about 2,000 years ago, and society in Crete 2,000 years ago is a little bit different to community and society now. So don't read too much into the instructions. These are for men only, these are for women only, and hopefully you don't have any slaves at home. I'm looking at you, I'm hoping that is not the case. But so we can think, okay, how do we translate this? How do we contextualise this for us now? Well, I think, I, I went to North Africa um, back in October, and their community society is quite different to us. Actually, I found it quite attractive because the women stayed at home and did all the cooking and cleaning, looked after the children, and the men sat in cafes smoking and having a tea or a coffee. I think that's an excellent way uh, to organise society. So, <laughs> we are slightly different here, which I think is a good thing, by the way. But basically, Paul is given instructions about how do we exist, how do we live in community, how do we exist and live, how do we live out our faith in the home, and how do we do it in the workplace. Okay, You may not be a slave, you may feel like it sometimes, but you're not a slave, but you go to work, many of you, unless you're the blessed ones that are retired. How do we live out our lives in those different spheres of life? And actually what Paul says, he comes up with a list which is very similar to the list we looked previously uh, at the, um, the guidance for people to appoint as elders, as leaders in your church. And we talked about then that actually this isn't just a list of requirements for the elite. This is for all of us to strive towards. And Paul uses very similar lists to say for everyone, this is how you should live. So he says, you know, you should, you be, you should be self-controlled. You should be worthy of respect. You shouldn't be addicted to much wine. You should be self-controlled. You should be setting a good example. And you can look back at that list there. In other words, we should be different. Now, there's different ways of being, living out our Christian faith. There's different ways of being different. You can be very active or you can be a little bit passive. Now when I say passive, I'll explain that in a minute. I don't mean in a negative way. But there is a place for us to be active in pushing our Christian faith and our beliefs. There is a place for us to be standing on the streets with placards, joining other groups to talk about, no, this is right. That is wrong. There is a place for us to be writing letters to our politicians or going to number 10. But the vast majority of us are not likely to be 
involved in activism in that way. Most of us are just trying to get by in life, in the business of work and family and life. And it's to you sort of people that Paul is talking. And I'm going to put it under the title of passive. Because you don't know what difference you make just by what you don't do rather than what you do. I found this quote about the early Christian church. It says, they never directly opposed the pagan world. So live in a world that was part of the Roman Empire with lots of gods and goddesses, a completely different way of living life. They never directly opposed the pagan world. Instead, instead they challenged by simply being a faithful alternative presence. Their most distinguishing feature was not their ideology or politics, but their love for others. In fact, there's a quote I found if I can remember where I put it. This is from Julian the Apostate, the last pagan emperor of Rome. And he said this about Christians, the church. Is, These impious Christians not only feed their own, but ours also. Welcoming them with their sacrificial love, they attract them as children are attracted with cakes. He's not very positive about Christians, by the way. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Christians devote themselves to works of charity. So this emperor is looking at these Christians and seeing a huge difference in the way they conduct their lives and the way everyone else does. A bloke called Tim Keller, who's a leader of a church in New York, said this, The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. We don't realise how startlingly... How different... Those Christians, those followers of Jesus Christ were to the society around us. As I said, we're a society which is based around Christian principles and for many years it's been quite difficult to distinguish non-Christian culture and Christian culture. That is no longer the case and increasingly so that will not be the case. People, I don't know if you realise this, but people are watching you. People are watching you. If they know you're a follower of Jesus Christ, they're watching you to see how you behave and what you do and, and, and what you say. I remember when I was a teacher, um, every now and then one of the follow, fellow teachers would say, that wasn't very Christian of you, was it? They would call me Christian. Hey, Christian. Not my, my name's Martin, but they call me Christian. And they would look. And every time I did something they deemed not very Christian, they would take great pleasure in pointing it out. People are watching you. People are learning about Jesus by the way you act and the way you behave. And actually Paul says, actually we want to be attractive Christians. We want people to look at us and go, there's something different about you. There's something I don't quite understand, but actually there's something quite attractive about you. And obviously we may not all be physically attractive like I am, but... (laughs) But you know, it's important. We can be attractive. Could we live lives that people go, I want something that you have. So what? Paul comes up with a whole list of ways we should act. Why? Why are we doing this? 
Why are we living life differently? Well, in verse 11 to 15, Paul picks up on this. And basically, Paul is saying that we have been saved. We have been saved from slavery to sin, and we have been freed from death. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need never die. You may die physically. Well, actually, there's going to be a new body. There's going to be a new life for you. That you will live for eternity with your heavenly Father. And we're saved not by what we have done, but because God loves us. And God sent Jesus to die for us. Therefore, you need to say no to anything that is not in keeping with God. Anything that's worldly. In other words, be different. But he doesn't just say you need to sit around waiting for you to die before you start living out your Christian life. He's saying you need to be different now. Yes, there will be a time when Jesus comes again. He will come not as a baby, but as a king. And the whole world will change. Everything will change. But up until that point, you need to live with that future in mind in the here and now. We have a new future, but we have been free to live according to that future in the here and now. So do good. Be eager to do good. That's verse 14. And that good, the idea of being eager to be good, is about being generous and helpful on behalf of the wider community. This isn't just about us. This is about our community we live in. We want to have a positive effect on the lives of people around us. So what? You can read that list. Why? Because we've been saved from sin and we've been freed from being slaves to live according to the future that we have in Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Lastly, how do we do that? Four things. Sound doctrine, personal growth, mentorship, Holy Spirit. Okay? First one, sound doctrine. So we've already pointed out that sound doctrine is not enough. There's a temptation as a preacher, and we've got a few preachers in this room, to be impressive with our preaching. To try and find something that you haven't spotted before in the passage. To try and impress you with our knowledge of history and the Bible. To try and come up with something deep and meaningful. Actually, the best way of being impressive is to come up with something you don't understand. You go, oh, that's, well, you must be clever, I don't understand that. That sort of preaching is of little use whatsoever, unless you're a Bible scholar. We are not called as preachers to be impressive, we're called to be helpful. What can you take away from this that's going to help you tomorrow when you go back to work? And in fact, after this sermon series is over, we're going to be starting a new sermon series looking at front lines, looking at empowering you and equipping you for the life that you live most of the time out of these four walls. Okay? But, there's a but in here. Okay? Don't rely on everything I say. Now, put your hand up if you go to the gym. Okay? Dan, stand up. A fine specimen of a young man. There we go. How often do you work out? Three or four times a week. There he is. Now, I could go along and watch Dan go to the gym. Do you have it in your home or do you go to the gym? Uh, bit, of bit of both. So, 
I'm going to hang out with you and I'm going to watch you doing the weights. I'm, actually, I'm going to take notes because you, know, you might have some good techniques. Take some notes, watch him. Um, you, you, you're careful with what you eat and drink as well because your body is a temple. Um, so I could do that for, for months. You know, every, going with him to the gym, watching him. And then I'm thinking, why am I still putting on weights? And why am I not getting any stronger? Thank you, Dan, you can sit down. It doesn't make sense to watch someone go into the gym and somehow think that's going to have a positive effect on me. And yet how many of us come along on a Sunday morning, listen to the preacher, give their sermon, and they've spent time prayerfully building up and listening to God for, and expect that to build up your spiritual muscles? Not only should you be listening to sermons on a Sunday, not only should you be engaging with them, but actually, are you engaging in prayer? Are you listening to God? Are you reading the Bible yourself? Because sound doctrine is not enough. Even helpful teaching is not enough. Secondly, you need to take responsibility for your own personal growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. That will look different for all of us. But if you are just relying on a sermon once a week to help you grow as a Christian, you may find that your spiritual muscles aren't getting big enough, fast enough. You need to put in your own effort and work as well. So that's one sound doctrine. Two, personal growth. Three, mentorship. Okay. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, don't stop meeting together, as some have been in the habit of doing. Instead, encourage one another. And sometimes you read that passage and think, okay, that is why you need to be at church on Sunday. Don't give up meeting together, because some are in the habit of doing that. But actually, there is so much more to that. See, there's a saying that says, uh, circles are better than rows. Now, what do I mean by that? You are seated in rows, which is great. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you. But actually, sitting in a circle with a group of people who are seeking to follow Jesus Christ and talking about life and the Bible and how you apply it is much more beneficial and therefore much more important than you sitting in rows listening to me. So how are you helping one another? How are you encouraging one another in your your Christian walk? How are you supporting one another? So you you can talk about your problems and your difficulties and help one another and pray for one another. Now I would suggest that home groups are a great way of doing this. We've got home groups. If you're interested in home groups, talk to me or Leslie. Leslie is... There's Leslie. Leslie is our discipleship deacon. She's in charge of our home groups. Stand up, wave around, do a twizzle. Okay, there we go. So if you're not part of a home group and you would like to be, talk to Leslie. Okay. But actually there's also this one-to-one mentorship. I was talking to someone uh, in the church and they were talking about, you know, we, we came along and people were really friendly, they were really supportive and loving and then after a few weeks we were no longer new and people stopped talking to us. We weren't quite so interesting and didn't get invited out for any meals or anything like that. We kind of get, take that initial welcome. Oh, it's great to have you with us. And then after a while, we lose interest. And we're looking for the next new person to come in the door. And sometimes we think, yeah, if it's a young person, well, I'm too old and they won't be interested in me. And maybe if you're part of the baby boomer generation, which there's a lot of you here who are part of that generation, actually the old fuddy-duddies were the people you didn't want to have anything to do with. Research shows that people in their 20s and 30s now 
are interested in older people. They want to build relationships with older people. Tola, did you just go, hmm, do you disagree with that one? Or do you, are you interested in older people and wanted to, to learn from, from them? Yeah, that's the right answer. She's, she's nodding. <laughs> you don't know how influential in a positive way you can be for younger people in their faith. Younger people age-wise, but also younger people in your faith. They can learn from the good things you've done, but also they can learn from your mistakes. If your marriage failed, then actually you can offer really good suggestions and recommendations about marriage. If you messed up in life, you can say, this is how I messed up, don't don't do what I did. This is why men's ministry and breakfast is important. This is why women's meetings are important. It's about walking with one another and guiding each other and mentoring each other. Okay, befriend, not preach. Because you have so much to offer. So sound doctrine, personal growth, mentorship. Lastly, as we come into the end, Holy Spirit. We can strive and work as hard as we possibly can to be as good as we can and get absolutely nowhere. Because there are, you know, there are issues in your life. There are difficulties that you have that are going to stop you from doing those things in that list. And maybe the first thing you need to do is to cry out to the Lord God and say, change me, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. I recognise that I'm going to struggle to be who you want me to be, but I just welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and transform my life, to change me, to shape me. Lord God, I want you to guide me in my life. Show me where I should go. Show me who I should meet. Guide my conversations. Because I recognise I cannot do this under my own strength. I haven't got the words to say. But Lord God, I pray you put the words in me. Is that your approach to your life? Because if it isn't, then you are struggling and striving in your own strength. And all of us need to come to our Heavenly Father, welcome him into our hearts and into every part of our lives and say, help me please. Help me please. Actually, we're going to do that now. We're going to do that now. I just want you to close your eyes because you're going to pray. And I want you to picture your life. I want you to picture what you will be doing tomorrow and the rest of this week. I'm going to pray and we're going to just welcome the Holy Spirit to come. So Holy Spirit, we just pray, come. Come Holy Spirit, come. Lord God, I just pray you will come into my heart. That you will soften my heart. That you give me a heart of compassion. That you will help me to love those that you love. Because I recognise so often I'm judgmental. So often I struggle with individuals who I just don't like. Lord God, help me to see them like you do. And break my heart for those things that break yours. Lord God, I pray you will come into my mind so that my thoughts will start to align with your thoughts, that my will will start to match your will. So I won't be going around in my life trying to make things better for myself, but instead I'll be following your purposes and your will for my life. 
And Lord God, I pray that you will speak through me. That I will say your words. That I will encourage. That I will say things that are loving, not things that pull people down. And Lord God, as your body, Jesus Christ, I pray that we will be your hands and your feet so practically we can help people and show your love. Lord God, help us to dare to be different. And by being different, to be attractive and to show something of you to those that we meet. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, because Lord Jesus, you have made it possible for us to do this now. Amen.